Hello, and welcome to Lifetimes of Learning, a production at the Buddhist Discussion Centre Australia. In our podcast series, we will be discussing the teachings and principles of Buddha Dharma, which is just as relevant today as they were 2,600 years ago. In this podcast, we will cover a Dharma teaching titled The Minds of Bhavana, authored by Anita Carter and Frank Carter. Wherever you are, we invite you to bring your mind inside and listen to the teachings of the Buddha. The Minds of Bhavana The word Bhavana is not exclusively a Buddhist word. A Google search of the term Bhavana will bring up many more hits in reference to Hindu practice and yoga than to its use in Buddha Dharma. It's a word that hasn't caught on in the Western psyche in the same way as the word Vipassana has, for example. Yet, the word Bhavana provides us with a more complete understanding of the practice of the Noble Eightfold Path than the far more popular and recognized words of mindfulness or meditation. Bhavana literally means development or cultivating or producing in the sense of calling into existence. The word bhavana normally appears in conjunction with another word forming a compound phrase such as citta bhavana or metta bhavana. When used on its own, bhavana signifies spiritual cultivation generally. From the online China Buddhism Encyclopedia, we read, Bhavana derives from the word bhava, meaning becoming or the subjective process of arousing mental states. To explain the cultural context of the historical Buddha's employment of the term, Glenn Wallace emphasizes bhavana's sense of cultivation. He writes that a farmer performs bhavana when he or she prepares soil and plants a seed. Wallace infers the Buddha's intention with this term by emphasizing the terrain and focus on farming in northern India at the time. The term also suggests hope. No matter how fallow it has become or damaged it may be, a field can always be cultivated, endlessly enhanced, enriched, developed, to produce a favourable and nourishing harvest. In the Pali canon, bhavana is often found in a compound phrase indicating personal, intentional effort over time with respect to the development of that particular faculty. For instance, in the Pali canon and post-canonical literature, one can find the following compounds. Chitta bhavana translated as development of mind or development of consciousness. Kaya bhavana, translated as development of body. Metta bhavana, translated as the cultivation or development of loving kindness. Panna bhavana, translated as development of wisdom or development of understanding. Samadhi bhavana, translated as development of tranquil wisdom. 
It means the cultivation bhavana of a broad range of skills, covering everything from worldview to ethics, livelihood, and mindfulness. Bhavana implies that the various components of Buddhist practice are working together in a balanced process, like a kind of dharma engine which moves our mind along the path. We've no longer practiced Buddhism in an ad hoc fashion or piecemeal approach where we focus on the bits we are good at. At this point, we have enough knowledge and competency. In the primary tools of Buddhist practice, that we use them with some level of proficiency. Bhavana therefore relates to the real progress we can make on our spiritual journey. It implies that we are creating the ingredients for improvement over time, that our mind is being prepared for there to be a worthwhile harvest. It is the dynamic of our skill, application, and expertise as a Buddhist practitioner. Do we practice well? How do we compare in our Buddhist practice to other areas of our life that we do well in or excel in? Surely, we wish to excel in our Buddhist practice, our bhavana. Bhavana is about making ourselves teachable with regard to the Buddha Dharma, making a teachable moment for ourselves, producing a teachable mind which can learn the Dharma directly. Each for himself or herself. Being teachable in Buddha Dharma means our mind can learn something which is at a higher level than what we already think we know. Where our new perceptions and insights surprise us, or at least bring something into a new perspective, this is new learning which helps. This is a characteristic of learning the Buddha Dharma. What is the experience of having a teachable mind like? When we are enjoying something, we have no difficulty staying awake and concentrating. Just think of reading a good book, watching a favorite video, or a child playing computer games. Hours can pass quite easily with no thought of escape and without drowsiness. He or she has no doubts about the worth of the trivial experiences of play. So it is with bhavana. If the object of bhavana can be made interesting, and the experience enjoyable, the mind will be happy and content to stay with the object of meditation for long periods of time with no difficulty. Frank recollects when he was a teenager. He had a hobby of collecting and fixing up old motorcycles. I remember poring over anything I could find on this topic. I read and reread books and articles many times. I absorbed and could recall all the details, facts, and features bike by bike effortlessly. My rate of learning on this topic was fabulous. Our teacher John Hughes. Advise: This is the method of overcoming infinite boredom with the world. Buddhist temples provide the right environment and support for students' minds to switch into bhavana, where our minds' dharma practice becomes fluent and sustained. This difference in our mental states is obvious to the student. Our mind can do things easily, which previously may have been a struggle. 
mindfulness seems to be self-sustaining. Friendliness with a smile, a delight, meditation, joyful. Our best opportunity to experience this is on a bhavana course. The blessing of practicing in a Buddha field at any living temple brings confidence to our mind. And we renew our love of the Dharma as we more fully appreciate the present moment. This is why we see this time as particularly precious at our center, something worth planning our life around as much as we can. Although we are now using Zoom as our platform for teaching Dharma, it is not our preferred delivery system for Dharma teaching. Some of the important factors which help students be teachable are not provided. The energy and blessings of the center's Dharma field, the merit-making opportunities such as making an offering to a teacher in person, or have the space and time to adjust away from our worldly agendas and worries, and so on. We wish to provide the best learning conditions to support our students' learning and practice of the Dharma, and for giving our teachers the most suitable conditions to teach. For this reason, once the COVID restrictions allowed us to resume our Saturday evening classes at the centre, it is easy to understand we need to stop making these evening classes available via Zoom to members. At the Buddhist Discussion Centre, since the early 1980s, we have run three or four bhavana courses each year. A bhavana course consists of a four or five day period when we put down our worldly activities, put down our worldly thinking, make space in our lives and minds to intensify our efforts and focus upon bhavana practice. This is about creating the right conditions. Firstly, the right conditions of leisure time. Secondly, the right environmental conditions. Thirdly, the karmic condition. And finally, the right mental conditions. We can relate to this simply by recollecting the farmer preparing his field. He is working to prepare himself, his equipment, his seeds, and the soil itself so that when all the needed factors have been assembled, his crop will flourish. If you know any farmers yourself, you will know clearly the analogy is not perfect. Farmers cannot control the weather. They can't control the environmental conditions. But for us, the environmental conditions are provided by our Buddhist temple, which offers us a suitable environment and organizes the bhavana course for us. It is always recommended to make a lot of merit prior to the commencement of the bhavana course, so we were not too mentally dry. The merit provides us the condition of nutrient of our mind and fuel our clean energy to support our practice. Our bhavana courses ideally start with the visit of some Buddhist monks to whom we offer dana or lunch, receive blessings from and be given a dharma talk. This helps students calm their mental states and tune in to the dharma energy of the teacher and the Buddha dharma field. 
Even though we may have prepared ourselves leading up to the bhavana course, it is most important to ensure that we align our agenda with the teachers. This sometimes means dropping our own agenda at the gate. For example, to help the teacher create the right environment, take the precepts, develop Buddha, Dharma and Sangha refuge before arriving and not bring our worldly concerns with us. We use mindfulness to check what our agenda is and see if it is aligned with the teachers. What we talk about when we arrive at the center is a good indicator of what agenda we have on top. The activities we do on the Bhavana course include, for example, Buddhist chanting, offerings of flowers, light, incense and water on the altars, offering of food to the teacher and other students, circumambulation of the temple stupa and Buddha relics, walking meditation, mindfulness, meritorious activities, listening to Dharma teachings and prompting wholesome mental states and activity. Traditionally, the Buddhist Pali texts teach that bhavana comprises three main factors, sila, dana and morality, samadhi, right concentration, and wisdom, panya. Buddha Dharma teaches through correct mind cultivation within the context of the Buddhist Eightfold Path that it is possible to arrive at a view of reality based on thorough understanding of cause and effects. Our members are taught to develop right view of the five styles of our center, friendliness, practicality, professionalism, cultural adaptability, and scholarship. The members we see as professionals know cause and effect as supply chain management and over time develop a realistic sense of becoming knowledgeable about the supply chain, cost of the goods and services we dispense to monks, nuns and laypersons. Professional members at our centre are taught to make many fields of merits more valuable and greater than the field that would arise if all the sands in the river Ganges turn into jewels. A noble professional person at our temple pays his or her way by raising funds within the law by using established supply chains. This output of supply chains organic goods allows our organisation to continue to develop and supply others by passing on goods and services freely to benefit them, that is, the practice of dana. It takes much reading and learning time and effort for a non-professional member to arrive at the correct view, samaditi, of the professional member. Usually, this takes 5 to 10 years of steady effort. Students keep 5 precepts at a minimum. The keeping of five precepts in up to 50 ways is sila. On some bhavana courses, the teacher advised additional precepts should be kept. The precept of no idle chatter, for example, prevents us from dissipating the clean energy and blessings we have received and prevents our mind from forgetting what it's doing 
and losing its way. To train our minds towards samadhi requires the development of mindfulness or sati. When you have the correct sati, you are aware from second to second what forms are happening in the present. There is no slipping away from of things. Sati is also a guardian. Because with sati, we can be mindful to guard the six sense doors and so prevent defilements from entering the mind. Sati is compared to a gatekeeper who stops thieves and robbers from entering the city. The distinction made in modern times is that the development of tranquility, samatha bhavana, leads to concentration, samadhi, and the development of insight, vipassana bhavana, leads to wisdom, panya. Tranquility, samatha, is the concentrated, unshaken, peaceful, and therefore undefiled state of mind, whilst insight, vipassana, is the intuitive insight into the impermanence, misery, and impersonality, anicca, dukkha, anatta, of all bodily and mental phenomena of existence, included in the five group of existence, namely, corporeality, feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness, khanda. Tranquility or concentration of mind, according to Sangapavanana, commentary to Abhidhamatha Sangaha, bestows a threefold blessing, favorable rebirth, present happy life, and purity of mind, which is the condition of insight. Concentration, samadhi, is the indispensable foundation and precondition of insight by purifying the mind from the five mental defilements or hindrances, nivarana, whilst insight, vipassana, produces the four supramundane stages of holiness and deliverance of mind. The Buddha therefore says, May you develop mental concentration, for who is mentally concentrated sees things according to reality. In one sutta it is said, Just as when a lighted lamp is brought into a dark chamber, the lamp light will destroy the darkness and produce and spread the light. Just so will insight, once arisen, destroy the darkness of ignorance and produce the light of knowledge. The attainment of samadhi in meditation is marked by entry into states of mental absorption known as jhanas. Our ordinary mind is in a mundane or worldly state, but when it is in a jhana state, it is filled with bliss and is in an unworldly state as we have let go of all attachment to the world of the five senses. The jhana states are one tool of mental development. During the jhana state, mind is focused, one-pointedly, that is, with focus and concentration upon its objects. Jhanas are also known as states of moral consciousness. 
because the mind is so absorbed in its object, there is no room for unwholesomeness, hence no boredom. In order to reach these states of satisfactory practice and see into reality more as it is, five hindrances must be removed. They are almost certain to appear when you practice bhavana. These are kamajanda, sensory desire, vabhada, ill will, tina mida, sloth and torpor, utacha kukucha, restlessness and remorse, vichikicha, doubt. To be contented is to be happy, simply to know what is happening in that moment, just labelling it as pleasant, unpleasant, or neither unpleasant or pleasant, desirable, undesirable, or neither desirable or undesirable. Sensory desire may be towards persons or objects, ill will, vipada, may be ill will towards others, hatred or dosa in the Pali language, or ill will towards oneself, where it is experienced as guilt, or even ill will towards your meditation object or your meditation cushion. Tina Mida is that state of heaviness of body and dullness of mind that leads to weak mindfulness and even to falling asleep during meditation. Sloth and torpor is a way that the mind shows it is not content to be in the moment and seeks to escape into dullness and sleep. To overcome sloth and torpor, it is necessary to rouse energy by finding joy in the bhavana. The fourth hindrance is uracha kukucha. It's the most troublesome for most persons. It can be translated as restlessness and remorse, or more simply, furry and worry. Here the key to overcoming this hindrance is to practice loving-kindness before you go into retreat, so it can be used as a tool in retreat. If you have feelings of worry, of remorse, and an uneasy conscience, these can be overcome by practice of metta towards yourself. Of course, the best protection against feelings of remorse is not to have done anything to be guilty about. This is why morality or sila is so important in Buddha Dharma practice. It is important if you are disturbed by kukucha to be kinder to yourself. Accept that you are not pure, that you have bad qualities. They can be recalled by practice. Everyone has both good and bad qualities, so see them both as they are, as conditioned, as the product of karma, not self. Remember, the first hindrance is vichikicha, or sceptical doubt. This refers to a very wide range of doubts that can be experienced and has the nature of wavering. It will appear as indecision, there can be doubt regarding the Buddha, the Dharma, or the Sangha. To understand the use of loving-kindness means to understand that 
its development makes it a powerful weapon to protect the meditator under various hazardous conditions that living may produce. On Buddhist advice, monks must not carry weapons. Instead, they practice loving-kindness, metta, for protection from wild animals and enemies in the forest. By sending strong metta to the surrounding beings when sitting in meditation in a forest location, monks can prevent harm from coming to them from potentially dangerous animals such as snakes and thus continue their meditation safely. Most monks, having long past forest experience, still display loving-kindness as a potent mental force. Metta is also an effective means to overcome anger as it is the opposite of these violent and destructive mental states. To build up the required concentration base for the development of insight. Because with metta, our mind concentrates rapidly and for a healthy relationship with every living being, so important for a happy family, society and the world. When metta practiced correctly, all four of the sublime abiding arise and develop together like the four pillars of a meditation hall. One night, while the Buddha was sitting in meditation under a Bodhi tree, the end of his religious quest was finally achieved. He started to see, like in a mirror, his previous lives, what he had been, the families he had had. He started to see backward in time, to see many previous lifetimes, to arrive, perhaps to the point when it all started. Then he saw the life of other beings similarly, like a mirror, and one thing became clear to him, the plane of existence out of the six planes of existence, where these beings were reborn from one life to the next, was determined by the accumulated effects of their actions in the previous lives, and in other words, their own karma, a word which in Sanskrit means action. As he progressed through the night, he acquired a more detailed understanding of the law of karma. He realized the Four Noble Truths and the Twelve Links of the Law of Dependent Origination, which is a more detailed formulation of the working of the law of karma and the truth of anatta, the truth that nowhere in the universe there is a permanent self to be found. Finally, when the sun rose, he had become an enlightened one. He was no longer an individual in the ordinary sense of the word. The point when all learning had stopped, the final destination of his religious quest, had finally been achieved. We can look at this experience as the manifestation of the law of causality in the ethical domain, but not as a type of mechanistic causality as it could be inferred from a study of scientific disciplines. This causality is expressed in its standard formulation like this. When this is present, that comes to be. From the arising of this, that arises. When this is absent, that does not come to be. On cessation of this, that ceases. This equates to a supply chain mechanism. The following quote was by Simon Carney. 
We have to see our life as an opportunity to cultivate our mind bhavana, as opposed to living our life. May you develop bhavana as a path of living. May your teachable minds increase. May your good courses fruit as wisdom minds. May you attain and realize nibbana. This concludes the teaching of the minds of bhavana. Thank you for listening to our Lifetimes of Learning podcast. To listen to our other recordings, please go to our website www.bdcu.org.au and click on Dharma Teachings. Or you can go to our online World Buddhist Radio station from our website by clicking on Buddhist Radio. May you be well and happy. May all beings be well and happy.